So uh, I'd like to welcome everybody who is joining us from home, which I think is everybody. And uh, I was looking through the list and there are some people I don't recognize. So if you are visiting, actually, uh, uh, we're glad to have you, especially uh, Galaxy Tab A. I don't know who you are, but uh, anyway, uh, the seven church uh, series that we are doing uh, has been done quite a few times. Um, and a lot of times they're pretty similar. We're going we're gonna to do it a little bit uh, differently. Um, and the, the seven churches um, makes a for a nice outline. You know where you're preaching for seven weeks. Um, and and as we did our introduction uh, last week, I kind of intimated that it was going to be a little bit different. And <clears throat> one of the things that whenever you've heard a, a sermon series on the seven churches, and, and as you look through your Bible, beginning in, in Revelation chapter two and, and three. Uh, they all, all the sermon titles all kind of follow the, the heading uh, that's there um, on each little section of, 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 of verses. Um, uh, each individual congregation uh, gets a message. And um, so by the end of this, we're going to get all seven messages. Uh, but each of them, we're given really one message. And um, they, they go pretty, pretty much similar. So, so if I was preaching this typically... I would I would just look at the first church and my my sermon for this week would be the loveless church uh, uh, and and so the next week I would be talking about whatever and, and that's kind of the way Revelation the, the churches of Revelation is typically done. However, I want to go back to last week and and kind of set up or reset the the series that we're doing. We talked about the source of light and, and we looked at the introduction to these. Uh, kind of in the first chapter, the, the the or part of the first chapter, and and talked about the source of light. Of course, that these are messages from Christ, and 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 throughout all these, uh, Christ is is trying to suggest that these churches need to be light. So I don't want to look at it from the negative. There's obviously negatives in in these uh, these messages, but but he, if you notice as we go through these, that he tries to emphasize some positives and, and then gives them one thing really that, that they need to work on or one main thing, not that that's the only thing, but, but something that was generally indicative of that particular congregation in that particular area. Um, and they probably had more wrong than that. And, and probably not everybody in the church. In fact, we definitely know that, that as we look through that some of these people in the church didn't have the, the problem. Right, that that's a that's the way it always is. So we're going to look at Revelation two, and as we go through this, this is going to be a different message. We're going to look at the positive that that we're not looking at the loveless church, but we're going to be looking at the light that he wanted them to be, and so we're going to be phrasing it from that perspective. So in Revelation chapter two, beginning in verse one, he says to the angel. Remember, we talked about that's the that's the evangelist, um, the the preacher in this church. He says, right, this. Uh, these things says the one who holds the seven stars in his right hand, that's the evangelists, who walks in the midst of the seven golden lampstands. I know your works, I know your labor, your patience, and you cannot suffer those who are evil. You've tested those who say they are apostles, but they're not, and you've found them to be liars. You have persevered, and you've had patience, and you've labored for my name's sake, and you've not become weary. Nevertheless, I do have this against you that you have left your first love. Remember, therefore, from where you have fallen, repent and do the first works, or else I'm coming quickly. 
to remove your lampstand from its place unless you repent. But this you have, that you hate the deeds of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. He who has an ear to hear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To him who overcomes, I will give to eat from the tree of life, which is in the midst of the paradise of God. And so we're going to be looking at the light. Uh, and the particular light that we're going to be looking at, that, that they needed to have, was the light of love. And, and that's the, the message we want to dwell on today. Other churches might have had love and didn't need that message, but this church needs to know about love. We want to know, uh, first of all, as we go through this, um, what they had going for them. And you see that he sandwiches this even. He, he starts with some good stuff. He says, okay, you need to fix this. And then he ends up with some good, hey, you do have this too. Um, and Ephesians, the, the, the church here the, in Ephesus, they had probably more advantages. I mean, when we look at this church, we sometimes think of it as one of the worst churches of these seven but it actually has more going for it than, than a lot of the ones that, that we're going to look at. Uh, they, they have some positives. They have a lot of positives. Um, and, um, and, but they have, beyond what we read here, historically speaking, they have a lot of positives going for them. And maybe that's why he's harsh on them. I don't know. Um, so talk a little bit about Ephesus. And, uh, and so we get a background of Ephesus. This church began... Um, when Apollos, um, who, who didn't know uh, much about Christianity, had heard a little bit. Of, he's from Alexandria. He had, he had come through and, and knew a little bit uh, and, and shared a little bit about Christianity as far as he knew. And he started getting disciples. Um, a couple uh, named uh, Aquila and Priscilla were, were in the area. And they, they kind of took him aside and, and kind of said, you know, these are some things you need to correct. He, he continued. And so Aquila um, and, and Priscilla were, were still in there when Paul gets to the area. Uh, and Paul spends two or three years in this church working with them. Imagine, I mean, Paul didn't stick around in too many places. I mean, like Corinth he did and, and, and maybe Athens a little bit. But, but Paul didn't usually stick around in a lot of places too long. So if you were a church that, that got the Apostle Paul for, for almost three years, I mean, you were... Uh, that that's that's something special, uh, and, and so they had something special. Now after that, um, Paul leaves Timothy there later uh, to to uh, to work in the church. So so when he so the uh, when he writes the letter to the Ephesians, right? They they got they got a letter sent to them. Um, actually, Ephesus gets multiple letters sent to them. They not only get uh, the letter of Ephesians sent to them from the Apostle Paul. But Timothy is the evangelist there. And so 1 Timothy and 2 Timothy are sent uh, to Timothy. But this church gets those and gets that benefit. What a, what a position to be in. Uh, it's kind, of, kind of exciting when you think about uh, being in this church. And then finally, if that wasn't enough um, before his exile, um, John was an elder in this congregation. So they've had two apostles spend a lot of time there and, uh, and, and an evangelist in, uh, earlier uh, in, uh, I don't know if, I, I doubt that Timothy's still there at the writing of John, but, or at the writing of Revelation by John. I don't think he's still there, uh, but um, they, they've got a lot going for them. Uh, and so 
we, we, some of these things are going to be kind of actually, uh, as we look at some of the, the things that are said about them, it's going to make sense why John says some of these things about them. I want to talk about, first of all, some of the good things about them before we get into what they need, because a lot of times we like to jump into the things that we need to fix. And I want to talk about, first of all, the things they had going for them, uh, aside from their advantages of who had been there. He says, he talks about their dedication. <clears throat> and uh, he says, I know your works. I, I know what, what you're doing. Right? And it, he means that in a good way. I know your works. That And he goes on and lists some of them. Why can John say that he knows their works? Well, because, as I say, he's been there. He knows them on a personal level, and he's observed them, and he's instilled a lot of these things in them. I know your works. Um, I could say it on a first-hand, you know, basis. Um, I, I, wish, I wish we knew specifically all of the works that he's talking about. Um, were they charitable? That's what we think of when we think of works. Or, or were they really moral people? Or, or what it was? What was it? And, and um, that, but they had works that that he, between him and them, they knew what he was talking about. He says, "I know your labor." Uh, so it wasn't even that they did good works, but but they put a lot of effort into. You know, a lot of people do some things, but they, you know, they, they kind of put half effort into it. And, and that was not this church. This church put a lot of effort into it. The, the more we think about it and listen to some of the good things, you're going to think, man, why couldn't he lay off? Man, this is a church that has good works and they're working hard and uh, all these things. And then he has to, you know, criticize them. My goodness, you know, there's a lot of churches that would find this church to be an enviable position. Um, but there was, you know, if you're working hard to get something done, that, that kind of suggests that there's some obstacles. So they had some obstacles in this church, in this community, maybe from within, maybe outside, whatever it was. And so it was causing them to exert great effort. And so he then <clears throat> moves on to their endurance. Um, this is uh, in verse two. He says, I know your works, your labor, your patience. And you can't endure. So maybe if we if we look about it, they didn't have a, a lot of tolerance. Maybe from that perspective, uh, they didn't. Uh, did they have endurance or not? Because verse two says you have patience, uh, but you don't uh, you don't bear with them. Um, you've persevered in verse three. You have patience. You've labored for my name's sake, but you haven't become weary. So so on one hand they're putting up with stuff, but on another hand they're not putting up with something. Um, but here, God compliments their lack of tolerance in, in, a, in a certain way. They're not putting up something that putting up with something that they should not put up with. That's a that's a compliment. Um, not universally, but at this in this application, it's good. They didn't have tolerance for, for whatever it was that that they shouldn't have tolerance for, and they hadn't given into these external pressures, whatever it was. Uh, <clears throat> so many churches are, even as we speak, giving into external pressure. Uh, there's um, cultural pressures, right? You're supposed to say certain things. You're supposed to adopt certain things. 
Uh, there's there's cultural pressures. There's there's pressures it, from within the religious community. Things that you're supposed to believe and and accept it, and and this is the way we should do things. Uh, these are methods that we should use. Uh, we we shouldn't be to this or to that. And and there's always these these pressures around us. And and God is saying, you know, uh, you have a you have a lot going for you. You, you don't give in to pressure that easily. Now, we should probably consider why they haven't. They haven't given in to pressure. Well, they've got a long tradition. I mean, from the inception of their church in the early 50s uh, AD up through, this is now 96 AD, they've had a direct connection to the apostles or a very uh, not very indirect you know they've either had they've either had an apostle there or, or they've had a an apostle's kind of uh, partner there or, or they've been getting messages from an apart from an apostle i mean they they there's a lot of reasons for them to not give in uh, and 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 we move on into uh, we, we look at verse two back up there. He says, I know your works, your labor, your patience. You cannot bear those who are evil. And uh, you have tested those who say they are apostles and are not. So, so they know what an apostle is. They've had two of them there. They know the, the marks of an apostle. And apparently there's some people that were trying to, to well, we're apostles. Oh, yeah, we've had, a, we've had the real article here a couple of times. So uh, let's, uh, let's see if, if you measure up. Um, but truth was a priority to them. This you have that you hate the deeds of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. This is kind of interesting. Who were the Nicolaitans? We don't know. <laughs> they, they weren't, don't appear to be around. I want to uh, look at uh, another, we're going to come back to Revelation here, but I want to look at First Timothy because there might be some clues. These might mean something. These We're going to look at some passages which might not be connected, but remember that First Timothy is written to a preacher in this particular congregation uh, at, at this particular time, at least. Uh, so First Timothy uh, has a, has a couple of references to false doctrines, um, and so we're going to look uh, at chapter one here first. If I can find it. First Timothy chapter one, and we're going to read uh, from verse uh, three through seven. He says, as I urged you when I went to Macedonia, remain in Ephesus so that you can charge some uh, that they teach no other doctrine or give heed to any fables or endless genealogies which cause disputes rather than godly edification, which is in faith. Now, the purpose of the commandment is love from a pure heart, from a good conscience, from a sincere faith, from which some, having strayed, have turned aside to idle talk, desiring to be teachers of the law, understanding nothing about uh, the things that they say. Uh, so this seems to indicate some kind of Jewish subgroup. Uh, so maybe the, maybe Nicholas was a, a Jew uh, that was kind of uh, trying to be a false apostle and, and, and teach some things. That's, that's a possibility. Uh, that's one of the things, certainly, uh, whether this is that group or not, this is one of the things that was happening 
and this church. However, uh, we have in chapter four of the same book, uh, we have another warning. So that was the first one here in chapter one is something that was currently happening. Uh, but in first uh, Timothy chapter four, he indicates that something else is coming. And, and in chapter four, uh, beginning in verse one through five, he says, now the spirit expressly says that in later times, some will depart from the faith, giving heed to deceiving spirits and doctrines of demons, speaking lies and hypocrisy, having their own conscience seared with a hot iron, forbidding to marry and commanding to abstain from foods, which God said would be received with, with thanksgiving by those who believe and know the truth. Every creature of God is good and nothing is to be refused if it's received with thanksgiving for it's sanctified by the word of God in prayer. So now this was something coming in the future. Now, Again, this isn't too specific. Was this coming to Ephesus? Was this coming to the world? Was this coming uh, between 60 and 96 AD when, the, when Revelation was written? Or, or is this something coming hundreds of years? We don't know. It's just later, later times. That doesn't mean the end times, just in case you're wondering. It just means later. So it's possible that one of these two groups is the Nicolaitans. It's possible that the Nicolaitans are even a, a different group, but whatever the case is, these people were given messages to be on the alert for false teaching. And so uh, who, the, who the Nicolaitans are really isn't important to us, but what's important is we understand they had an idea to be on the lookout for, for errors in teaching. They'd had some experience with it already for sure. Uh, and, and indicates that they were going to experience it uh, at some point in time, either locally or just as a part of the world, experiencing errors uh, in doctrine. But they they loved doctrinal purity. Uh, so so they got that message. And that is important. It's important for us to understand how important that is uh, for us too to be on the lookout. With all these good things to say about them. We have to ask, oh, where did they go wrong? I mean, if they have all these things. Now, we, we've already talked about what their issue was. Um, this says they were loveless. And I don't know that that's true because the, the Bible doesn't say that they were loveless. Uh, it says that they left their first love. Now, I know uh, when we say that, what that means to us. You think of your first love, you might think of like a junior high romance or, or you know, something like that. Uh, oh, my first love. Uh, I don't think that's what it means here. It doesn't, it doesn't seem to fit uh, what we've already talked about. Uh, some people think that, that uh, this is them leaving Christ. You know, Christ was their first love and they had left their first love. And I've heard messages based on that theme. But that's taking a verse and, and just preaching a single verse out of a, a particular context. Because what do we know about this group of people? This group of people uh, had um, done everything that they could do and did so, it says, in the name of Christ. This is Christ speaking because John wrote with the red ink here. So we know it's John or we know it's about it's, it's Christ writing. So so he says, uh, uh, Christ says, nevertheless, um, or excuse me, back up to verse three, he says, you have persevered and have patience and have labored for my name's sake. They had done what they had done on behalf of Christ. So, so they hadn't left Christ. They hadn't decided, we don't care about Christ. 
Here's a group of people coming in saying something different. Well, we know who they are. They're people teaching errors about Christ, and so we're not going to allow it. They hadn't left Christ intellectually. Right? So if it leaving your first love doesn't refer to the object of your affection like we use it, then it must refer to the affection itself. They had they it, not necessarily even that they're without love, but but they've lost the love that they had, that former love. Uh, and so how can this happen? How, how can you do this? Now, I want you to remember, always keep in mind, Christ is not trying to insult them or put them down, but Christ is trying to maintain their light. And, and the one key to this, Christ is not, you know, well, you've got all this going for you. You need, you need to forget about this. You've got this much going for you. He's trying to maintain their light. Uh, and so I want to talk about uh, how you, we lose the light of love, even when we have all these other things going for us. One of them is that we can have what I call an obligation-based faith. Uh, an obligation-based faith uh, sometimes is necessary. And sometimes you don't feel like doing something, but you get up and do it because you know you have to. That's not bad. Um, it, it's, a, it's the spare tire and, you know, your, the donut in the back of your, your car. Sometimes you need it. And, and it's good to get you where you're going in an emergency. Uh, but obligation-based faith is, is not the ideal. And it's not what God wants, certainly long-term. Um, when obligation starts to define your faith, right? now we're, we're in treacherous waters. Um, you know, and you, you listen to people and, and how many times their conversation will revolve around, we have to do this and we have to do that correct protocols. This is the way we do things, right? The right way to worship, uh, how and when, oh, it's so important, how and when we take the Lord's Supper. And, and I'm not saying that these things should never be a part of our conversation because there are protocols in, in the scriptures. But when that becomes the focal point of, of, the, of the Lord's Supper, say just using that as an example, in, instead of what the Lord's Supper is about, that, that we're proclaiming, as, as Bruce said, that we're proclaiming the Lord's death till he comes, that's, that is more central to the Lord's Supper than the fact that we do so on the first day of the week. I'm not saying that doing it on the first day of the week is not an important part. But the obligation, when, when the religion, when my faith and, and worship comes about the protocols, then I've, I've misplaced the protocols in, in terms of their importance. Now, I want you to take, don't take away from the fact that, uh, that I, I'm saying protocols are not important. But an obligation-centered faith is, is what they were doing. They had all the protocols, and they, they knew what was right, and they knew what was wrong, and they knew how to test it. And they, this is how you might, but God had something against them. Their light was not shining. They had the correct things, but it wasn't shining because... It was obligation-based. It was not love-based. Um, and so one of the things about obligation is 
what is the emotion of an obligation-based faith? Well, one of them is fear. See, when we're about obligation, and if you talk with people who you kind of, you know, you, you might know people who are obligation-based, right? It's all about the protocols with them. And, and you will notice they'll talk a lot about going to hell and or not going to hell. And will this send you to hell? And, and you're going to go to hell if you, and it's all about hell, not hell again. Hell is a real thing God made, and, and it's something to be afraid of. Um, and to keep us motivated, if nothing else keeps us motivated. But it's not my primary motivation. The desire to be with God, it should be much more of a motivation than not being with God, if you think of it like that. Um, so, so a fear-based uh, religion, while fear is important, fear is the beginning of wisdom. But it's not the center of wisdom. It, it, it's not the center of my faith. So um, that's the first emotion. There's another emotion mentioned in here, and even positive, but it's, it's, it becomes a problem. Just, just like fear is mentioned and, uh, as being important in, in a person's faith, there's another emotion here that's mentioned, and I think it was a part of the problem. And he goes down. He he gives them some good news. Cool, you're doing great here. You got to fix this. And then he 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 says something else that's said as a positive. He says, "And I have uh, you have this that you hate the deeds of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate." Now, I want you to think about this statement for them. Uh, they had learned to hate the right way. They didn't hate the Nicolaitans. I don't know if the Nicolaitans were a group within the church or a group outside of the church. We talked about that. But whatever they were, these Christians didn't hate them. They hated their deeds, and they kept it distinct. So, so, so they even had that going from them. They, they understood certain things to do things not just that Christ did, but to do them the way Christ would do them. But hate, even proper hate, is a dangerous emotion. Um, when hate is done, even correctly, it can become the center of faith, much like fear. Fear can you can have the fear of, of, uh, of God and, and all the things. Fear is good, but it can become the center of your faith, and it, and it switches what God wants. And so, so I think one of the things that had happened, which is natural for us, is that hate, even a proper hate, became the center and, and started pushing out love. Uh, and so it creates a shift in our religion um, that seems to satisfy the the uh, some of the necessary parts of religion. I'll give you uh, an example um, here in in Colossians chapter two. Colossians chapter two verse sixteen. 
He says, let no one judge you in regards to food or drink or a festival or a new moon or Sabbath, which are a shadow of things to come, but the substance is of Christ. Um, let no one cheat you out of your reward, taking delight in false humility or worship of angels, intruding into those things which he hasn't seen, puffed up by his fleshly mind and not holding fast to the head from whom the, all of the body nourished and knit together by its joints and ligaments grows in the increase that is from God. So therefore, if you died with Christ from the basic principles of the world, why then, as though you were again living in the world, would you subject yourselves to these regulations? obligations, right? Do not touch, do not taste, do not handle, which concern things which perish with the using according to the commandments and the doctrines of men. These things I have an appearance of wisdom and self-imposed religion, false humility and neglect of the body, but they are of no value against the indulgence of the flesh. And, and here we see really the two things, the, the concept of obligation or fear, uh, and also hate, that that there's this idea that we need to be against this and against that as it becomes a, a part of our religion. And it seems very religious, but he says here, it, it looks wise and, but it's self-made religion. It, it appears to be doing something, but it's not really. Um, and so they had learned to hate even the right way, but it was pushing out love And so looking back at Revelation and, and this church, you know, as he describes it, it looks like they had started to focus all of their faith around the idea of what they were against. Well, the Nicolaitans are teaching this, we're against that. And here's a group of, uh, uh, of fake apostles and we're, we're against that. And we're against this and we're against that. And, it, and everything was about being against things. He's like, you've left that original love that you used to have. When, when, when I came to you right after Apollos left, it was fresh. It was exciting, you know, and, and that's the way it was. And then, then Paul leaves. It was when it, from when it was exciting. And, and now you go through this evolution over 35 years of this church or 40 years of this church. And now John's like, you've left what you used to be. And hate has replaced love. Hate is easier than love. Um, just look around you. Right? We are in a world torn by hate uh, on all sides. There's not one group or, or another. Um, but whatever the group is, they find an opposite group and, and say horrible things about people. They don't know the people. And they just say horrible things about them and accuse them of horrible things. And you're a this and you're a that. And, and then the words that get thrown around. Because it's so much easier to hate than to love. I'll give you an illustration from this week. I actually already written my sermon notes. I went back and, and, and put something in there just because of something that happened this week personally. Um, I got an email. Uh, it was just an advertising email uh, for a, a Church of Christ group that, that sends out a mailer. Um, so I, I went to their website to, to look at how they send out pamphlets to the neighborhood and various things like that. And, and um, 
uh, I just went to their website just to, to see what it cost. You know, I'm just curious how, how much it costs. Well, I couldn't even find the price anyway. But uh, so I'm scrolling around through the website looking for stuff and, and they have videos there. And so I just I just randomly clicked on one of the videos, completely random. And um, and, and I'm listening to this uh, to this guy speak and I'm even skipping through it. I, was, I don't, don't want to spend a lot of time. Clicking. So I'm, I'm clicking through this this lecture. And all of a sudden, I hear the name Don DeWelt. I know the name Don DeWelt personally. Probably no one who's in this group knows the name Don DeWelt. Uh, then I heard the name Burton Barber. And my, I was like, whoa, I know the name Burton Barber. Uh, and, and some of the others, there was a name that was similar to a name that I know. But not, and I, so I did some research, and he's not related to the guy. Anyway, but it was uh, the, the topic was over some debates that had been had over some protocol issue, you know, like 50 years ago or 60 years ago. No, 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 about 70 now. And, and I'm listening to this guy speak very dismissively of, of Burton Barber and Don DeWell. And it kind of got offended. But first of all, I was excited. I was like, wow, I, these are not famous guys. You know, they're famous to me. Um, Burton Barber was, uh, uh, he preached in my hometown for, for a little while not when I lived there, but after I'd moved, he was one of three guys that, uh, that established a Bible college where I went in Iowa. So I knew, I knew Burton Barber and, and his professor was Don DeWell down in, in Ozark Bible college. Right. And, and so these are names I know I've never met. I've never met uh, Don DeWell. He, he passed away before I would have ever been able to meet him. Uh, but I wouldn't be a Christian if it wasn't for Don DeWell. Because he taught the guy who established a Bible college from which men graduated uh, and, and three or four of them went out east and, and established churches. One of them was in Elmira, New York, uh, and um, that's where my mom was, and, and she became a Christian. And there was another one in, in Northboro, Massachusetts, and that's where my mom moved a little bit later. And uh, I grew up underneath the education, you know, in, in this church of men who had graduated from a Bible college started by Burton Barber, who had studied under Don DeWell. And here's, I'm listening to this man over protocols, very dismissive of a man I don't think he's ever met. Uh, it, it sounded like he'd never met, just speaking about a guy. This guy said this and this, this. And we get so dismissive of people that we can say things about them not knowing who they are. And it's like I started to get a little offended. I'm like, hey, because love is harder than hate. Uh, it's easy. Now, I'm not saying that he hated those men, but but this issue over protocols and, and being dismissive of people is so much easier um, than maintaining the light of love. Right? That's what Paul says. He says, though I know all truths, or though I, I give my body to be burned, though I do all these things but have not love, I'm, I'm, I'm like a clanging symbol. It's, it's, it's like I'm, it's nothing. My faith is dead. It, there's nothing to it. it. It's love that gives value to the protocols. It, it's love that gives value to uh, 
maintaining truth. It, it's not light. It does nobody any good without love. And that's, that's what he's trying to get to the Ephesians. He's not trying to tell the Ephesians how bad you are. Uh, you, you've got these good aspects of religion, but you've lost the love part of it. So as we conclude this morning, I'm not asking you to give up devotion to truth because he wasn't doing that um, or, or the pursuit of correct doctrine or, or even understanding the right ways to do things. Those are important. Um, but the challenge is this, is to take Jesus seriously about the specific warnings that he's giving. First of all, we need to understand the specific warnings, what he's saying, what he's not saying. He is a maintainer of light. Now, look what he says. I mean, uh, here's a church with so many things going for it. And he says, you better fix it because I'm coming quickly. And, and if you don't fix it, I'm going to take your light away. Um, there's a point at which God doesn't deal with it any longer. I'm going to remove your lamps. And it's like, it's like a car. You know, it's like... You, you, you wonder how much money you want to throw into it. It's like, oh, we, we're working on that with Benjamin's car. Like, what's the what's the budget point at which we want to fix the car, or do we scrap the car? And 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 God does the same thing. He's a maintainer of light, but he's not going to throw good money after bad. Well, the history of Ephesus is this: a few hundred years later, there's a earthquake that destroys the entire town or most of the town. They tried to rebuild it, but Ephesus was situated, and it was a. It's interesting that he ta he talks about the one who overcomes. I will let him eat the tree of life, which is in the midst of the paradise of God. The Ephesians considered their city to be paradise. Um, people came from all over to see one of the seven wonders of the world, which was the the temple of uh, Artemis or Diana, and. Uh, but it was, I mean, you came, you sailed right up this inlet and, and you got off these steps right off the boat and went up the steps to these, to these wonderful uh, things of, ar of, of architecture. It was beautiful. But one of the things this earthquake did was uh, it shook the, the ground and started creating a silt bed so that, that pretty soon that inlet just silted right up. And no one came in. Uh, there's a city outside of Ephesus now, but you, and you can get off there and, and walk up and, and, and travel up, whatever, and, and go see Ephesus. But Ephesus is nothing. Uh, it became a ghost town within, within a century or half a century because of this, this silting. God said, listen, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take it away. I'm going to take this away if you don't fix it. So my guess is that they didn't fix it. Um, otherwise, they would still be there. So, God's serious about his warnings about love and maintaining love over, over the religious protocols, it, making sure that love is the basis for the religious protocols. And so, that's the really the, the encouragement for, for us today uh, as we as we to close, and I'm going to turn it over here to, to Bruce in just a second, 
but to be motivated by the splendor of love. In contrast with this great city, he's like, I'm going to let you eat the paradise, the fruit of, of this cheese in, in the paradise that is so far greater than Ephesus. You, you have to, but you have to overcome. You have to overcome this one obstacle, the greatest obstacle that they faced. And much like with us, the, the greatest obstacles that you and I face are not the cultural ones. Everybody's worried about culture. The greatest obstacles that we face are, are not the obstacles around us, but they're the obstacles within us. The greatest thing that they needed to overcome was not a false apostle. They were doing that. He said, that's great. That's wonderful. But the greatest thing that they faced was not the obstacle of the Nicolaitans. They needed to face that. But the greatest one was internal. And that was making sure they maintained their original love. And we need to go back individually and, and check Am I doing these things from love?